Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Ah, oh, it's December. Isn't it good? I get excited when the burrs start, the Septembers and then the Octobers, but this is the, the December, so we are so much closer. And how fitting, we'll never be loved more than at this point. And love the new theme, Revealing Jesus in the Old Testament prophecy, because before we get into the detail, what does that mean if Jesus is in the Old Testament? It means God loved us so much that he prepared a rescue plan way back in the garden, way back in the index, and all the way through to the maps. It's all about his rescue plan, and it's all about the person of Jesus. That is so exciting. Now, I'm, uh, I'm a simple man. So when I think about Old Testament prophecy to do with Jesus, I naturally go to the next slide, which is, as you would expect, Roger Clemson. And this is your life. Who remembers this is your life? So for those other than the two people who put their hands up who don't remember it, it was a show a while back, and someone took over from Roger Clemson. I can't remember his name, but basically they would take a celebrity that everyone knew and they surprise them live on national television and say, come back to the studio. We are going to tell you the story of your life. We are going to chronicle your doings. Um, and they would have guest appearances from people that that person never wanted to see again. They'd bring them into the studio <laughs> and tell embarrassing stories. But I think of that, that to me is the Old Testament because you think, about Jesus' birth, which is coming up, and okay, I got the gold, I got the incense, I got the myrrh, and then he got Roger Clemson, basically with the Old Testament, saying, here is the book with all the stories of the stuff you are going to do. Here it is. No one else in history received all the stories he was going to do in advance, which is absolutely mind-blowing. And some people think, okay, well, if you knew everything in advance, you could pretend to be the Messiah, couldn't you? That'd be pretty easy, because the first thing you'd want to, that's, that's, I'd really like to die a horrible death at the end. No one would want to, to do this. And a bit of a spoiler alert, but just work through it with me. I think that's what I'll do. I'll become a celebrity. It's going to transform my life, being the Messiah. Now, let me see, what have I got to do? Uh-huh. Born in Bethlehem. Can't do that. Tribe of Judah. Can't do that. Line of David. Can't do that. Strike three. I'm out. Not only can't you control the events of your birth, but you can't control the events of your death, of which there are a lot of prophecies, and the sheer volume. How many are there? Well, we'll go to the next slide. I found this on the internet, so we know it's true. <laughs> Odds of winning the lottery, one in 259 million. Odds of a man fulfilling eight prophecies is one in all those zeros which is a lot of zeros, and Jesus fulfilled over 300. Over 300. Can you imagine trying to orchestrate that? Okay, got to be over here. I've got to say this to this particular group. Then I've got 20 days to get over here, and I've got to do this over here, and I've got to keep doing it for the next 30-odd years or so. Absolute impossibility. And Jesus had to fulfill every single one of the prophecies. Anyone who doesn't fulfill every single one isn't the one. He's the one. 
Okay. Now, having said that, before we go to the, the next slide, the topic is revealing Jesus, not finding Jesus. Jesus doesn't like being found because he's not lost. He's probably pointed that out to a lot of people in, over, the, over the year. But we're going to look at Scripture objectively with the blinkers on a little bit to see if there's a pattern that reveals Jesus, rather than just thinking, I'm looking for Jesus, because you're so passionate about him and you love Jesus so much, you'll find him, no matter what, under every rock. And in fact, there's some old rabbinical texts that say that they see Messiah is everywhere in the Old Testament. Messiah is the Old Testament. So just to help you with that process as a bit of an illustration. A woman's coming up who loves Jesus in the New Testament, found Jesus in the Old Testament, but she also found Jesus in a pikelet. And later on, she, uh, she had an orange, and she found him in the orange. And then she went to clean the frying pan that had the pikelets in it and saw Jesus. I think there's a bit of cheese manipulation there a little bit. And then she went to visit her son, who owns an Irish pub. And if you thought pub ministry was dead, no, it isn't, because Jesus is still showing up there. Overnight, there are thousands of angels picking little bits of lead paint off pubs to bring people closer to Jesus. Now, now we're not like that. You might be. I'll probably get somebody to say something to me. I'm not sort of into all that, but just showing you how our focus can shift a little bit. So we're going to try and be a little bit objective, look at some texts over the next few weeks and see if there is a resonance with Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. Having said that, if we go to the next slide... This is my son's first Bible, and this is a cracker. This is great for adults. Wow, it really pulls thing, things in. So it's the Old Testament with the New Testament. But you'll see over that purple bit that says over 2 million copies sold, it says every story whispers his name. And every prophecy, every story, every piece from the Old Testament whispers the name of Jesus. So we, we kind of know that. We've got the blinkers on, but we understand what we're looking for. Now, this is sort of just a little bit of a, a trailer to what's coming up in the next few weeks. So I don't want to spoil any of the prophecies that people are going to unpack. But I want to look, let's have a look at what the disciples say and Jesus says about his presence in the Old Testament. We're going to go to Philip first. And uh, Philip says... This in John 1.45. Philip found Nathanael. Philip's good at finding people. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. He was the first person Jesus had to say, I wasn't lost to, but that's okay. I found you. Amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's speaking about you. But we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law. Wow. The law, the Torah back then in the Old Testament, and about whom the prophets also wrote, the prophecies that are there. And then he gets really specific. So the one that we found, uh, the one Moses wrote about, and the one the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So this is who Philip thinks he is. There is no doubt in his mind whatsoever. 
Let's hear from Jesus. This is Jesus addressing the Pharisees. This is from John 5, 39. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Then he says this astonishing thing. Do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses. Your accuser is Moses. The law, the Torah, the Old Testament. On whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. This is very, very specific. There was no doubt in the mind of Jesus that he was the one. He was spoken about by Moses way back then. And he's saying basically to the Pharisees, be very, very careful. Don't get wrapped up in the book of the Lord and miss the Lord of the book. And we love our Bibles, don't we? But we've got to make sure we love Jesus. You can make an idol out of your Bible sometimes. It's the Lord of the book, not the book of the Lord that we need to look at. Okay, now what I want to do is I want to draw out Jesus in the Old Testament as a bit of a trailer. I don't want to speak specifically in depth to any particular prophecy, so I'm just going to share a couple of stories that show he's there, pull a few prophecies together in a very, very general form to show the importance of it. Just before I start, in case you hadn't noticed, the Bible's a really big book. But there's a tremendous economy of words in the Bible. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. They moved over here. They had some yaks. The yaks had more yaks. They moved over here. You can travel vast distances and across an amazing amount of time in a short space of time. Because God doesn't waste time getting to the point he wants to make. And what that means for us as we read it, when we start to get detail, we've got to stop and slow down and take notice and ask what, what's happening here. When we get dialogue, we need to slow down. When we hear what's going on in people's heads, their thought processes, we need to stop. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes God repeats himself. Sometimes God says things that are redundant. He uses words that he doesn't have to use. And when those moments happen, we really need to focus and say, what are you doing here, God? And often when there's repetition or a pattern, there's a slight variation that gives us a clue to what he's talking about. So I'm going to look at a well-known passage now. This is um, Abraham sacrificing Isaac from Genesis 22, 2 to 13. You know I'm visual, so you're going to get pictures and colors and those sorts of things. God said to Abraham, take Isaac. He didn't say that. He said, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Fourth time, Isaac, which is redundant in this great economy of words. Something's going on here. And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, who was an adult male at this point. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. 
As the two of them went on together, Isaac said to his father Abraham, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb. Put the pause button on that. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. When they reached the place where God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged wood on it. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram. Didn't see a lamb, saw a ram. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it. I mean, did Abraham get it wrong? Get his creatures wrong? I don't think so. God will provide the lamb. On this occasion, though, it was the ram. Let's go back to that, um, that verse there. God said, take your son, your only son whom you love. Uh, there is a mirror verse in the New Testament with a tweak. And it's one we know really, really well. It's from John 3.16. It's already up. And here it is. For God so loved his only son. It doesn't say that. There's been a shift. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. God did the exact same thing that Abraham did. He took his son, his only son, whom he loved, and he put the wood on his back. He took his son, his only son, whom he loved, and led him up that mountain. He took his son, his only son, whom he loved, put him on the altar of the sacrifice. But whereas he let Isaac off the hook, he didn't let his own son off the hook. Because though God loved Jesus... God so loved the world that he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary for us. How amazing. How important were children back then in those ancient times? So important to look after you in your old age. A son was important because he could represent you in the military and fight for Israel. He, it was a name that would carry on uh, the inheritance of the family. So how important would an only son be? What's more important than an only son back then? Well, the only son of God. What's more important than the only son of the living God? It's you. It's the world and the people you bring into relationship with Jesus. The next section I want to show you is actually from the book of Job, just before we bring it up. It's a prophecy, but it's, it's not often used. You have to sort of make a few different connections. But it is so powerful in revealing Jesus in the Old Testament that I wanted to share it. Now, remember the book of Job. Job is very prosperous. Everything's going well in his life. And then the enemy speaks to God, and God says, look at my servant Job, he's doing really well. And the accuser says, ah, he's only doing well because he's, he's doing so well. 
So take away his property, take away his family. And that happens, and he's left with nothing but himself. And he's still, he's not cursing God, he's praising God. And the enemy says, okay, strike his flesh. Give me permission to do something to him physically. And it happens, and he comes out and soars and, and boils. And he still hangs in there. And three of his mates show up, and they're really brilliant because they say nothing for seven days out of respect for his mourning. Hands up if you've got someone in your life who does really well when they don't say anything. Keep your hand up if they're next to you at the moment. No. So he gets to a point where he starts to wonder about, um, you know, what's, what's going on? Why do the righteous suffer sometimes? And there's, he senses a disconnect between him and God. And here in Job 9:32 to 34, he says this amazing thing. Just on the next slide there, great. Speaking of God, Job says, Oh, he's not a mere mortal like me, that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. Then he processes a little bit more. Ah, if only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that this terror would frighten me no more. And then he, I think he, he sits like that person there and he starts to look at that. Oh, for this mediator. He ponders about this space between God and him. And for the next nine chapters, he sits and looks at it and he, it's like a piece of jigsaw. You ever lost a piece of jigsaw, which is really frustrating and you go, I have no idea what's on this piece. But as I put together the other pieces, I can now see it. I can see its shape. I can see the contour of its possibilities. I can see the little knobbly thing down below that's probably might be something that connects to me, Job's thinking, and I can see the little knobbly thing at the top that connects to God. I can see the shape of this connection, and it's not just a hope anymore. It is so clear in my mind. It's a reality. And he doesn't have the name Jesus, and he doesn't have the name Messiah. But after 10 chapters of processing, he gets to this point in Job 19. I don't know Jesus. I don't know, I don't know this um, Messiah, but I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. That connection between me and God, there is something there, there is someone there, and he's there, I can sense him. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth, which he does. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God in Jesus. I myself will see him with my own eyes. And I haven't included the rest of the, the verse, but it goes on and it says, I'll raise a banner because my Lord has conquered the grave. My Redeemer lives. Everybody, my Redeemer lives. Note the footwork. My Redeemer lives. Yeah. And he wrote that great song that Hillsong did a cover of later on, <laughs> which is fantastic. And in the next slide, here it is. Here it is again. 
If only there was someone to mediate between us. And then 10 chapters later, I know that my Redeemer lives. It's about Jesus. He sees the shape. Job speaks so amazingly into the Old Testament because it speaks of the hope of a mediator, the necessity of a redeemer, and then what follows on from that is the reality of Jesus. So powerful. Let's jump over to Nicky Gumbel. Anyone reading, going through Nicky Gumbel's Bible in one year app at the moment? It's amazing, particularly going through the Old Testament and you read some of those tough verses and you think, because Nikki comes in, does a commentary at the end, come on, Nikki, you've got to get me through this. This is brutal. You've got to get me through this. And he always does. And he does it by connecting the story to Jesus. Nikki says this, if we fail to see that the Bible is about Jesus, the whole Bible, from the index through to the maps, about Jesus and a relationship with him, reading it, can easily become a dry, academic, and arid activity. About as much fun as itching powder in your wetsuit. But once you understand that it's all about Jesus, and that studying the Bible is a way to grow in your relationship with him, including the Old Testament, it becomes the source of life. Some points. Remember, every Old Testament story whispers his name. It's the Old Testament needs to be read through the lens of Jesus. Remember, it's not about the book of the Lord, it's about the Lord of the book. And to finish on, remember, the bird's eye view of this whole December series is this. The Old Testament shows God's love, loves you so much that he put a rescue plan in place from the very beginning of time, way back in the garden, and then he laid over 300 prophetic markers in the Old Testament so that you couldn't miss it because it was so important for you to be in relationship with Jesus and for the people around you. 300 plus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. It's December. We're heading towards your birthday. Lord, thank you that we are your plan A, your plan B, your plan C. You had no other plan, and so you put in the rescue plan. You knew how imperfect we were, that we would muck it up. But we couldn't reach you, so you reached down through Jesus to us. As we get closer to, to Christmas, what a prophetic collection of stories from the Old Testament your birth is. And Lord, let us take up that challenge, that challenge to invite people around for a meal, to take the opportunity, if we can, to, to pray for them. I am so encouraged, Lord, going into Christmas, that Christians and agnostics and atheists and people of every different religion in Australia, you know, I bet somewhere in their house they've got a coin, and on that coin is a date, and that date is the years from your birth that that coin was manufactured. Wow, what a connection point. What do you believe in? Do you believe in Jesus? No, pull out that coin. 1975, 1,975 years from what? 
let's talk about that. Come over to my place for a meal. Let's have a chat. Let me pray for you. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you don't know Jesus, I've got some really good news for you. There is a mediator between man and God. Your Redeemer lives. His name is Jesus. We don't follow a book here at MLC. We don't follow a religion. We follow a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Everything in the Old Testament points towards his first coming. Everything in the next testament points to his second coming. You can have a relationship with him. If that's you today, you want to connect with your Redeemer, would you put your hand up? Slip your hand up to say, yes, yes, that's me. I long for that mediator. I felt that disconnect. And I want to be in relationship with Jesus. Would you put your hand up? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for sending your son, your only son, to the cross for us. And thank you that he died and he rose again. Through him, we have forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.